Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and it's been a long time. Um, I feel like there's a rap lyric that starts with, like, it's been a long time. You got 99 problems. Nope, not. But time ain't one. Or time is one. Time is probably one. Time is probably one of the 99. Right? Right? Probably. Folks, welcome back. We are... Here for what episode, and then we're gone again for a while. Well, we're just—it's you know—it's just—it's become hard to kind of not even just to keep up with stuff. I got stuff going on, and, and and you got stuff going on, and there's just like movies. You know, you can go to movie theaters, and we've both been to movie theaters. We're going to talk about a, a movie today that we saw together. Um, I don't know. Neither of us are just like rushing to the movies every week. Even no. you've been like, I think I'm gonna go see a movie this week, and I'm just like, did you see a movie this week? And you're like, no. Yeah, I think. I didn't go. I mean, the first time since Green Knight that I'm going to see a movie is tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. And it's a movie that you've been kind of wanting to see for a for, long, long yeah, time. which is Candyman. I've been wanting to see it for years now. Well, two years now, so. Exactly. So, but it's not, it's not, you know, you were like, should I go see, what was it, Free Guy? Night, and, Free Guy or Night House. And Night House. And I was like. They both got good reviews. And I was right. just like. And the end, I was like, nah. They're going to come out in 45 days. I'll just wait. Right. And because in the end, it just. Free Guy's going to be on, what? Hulu probably, or, yeah. or it might be on, it might be on Disney Plus. Who knows? It's PG thirteen. Oh, because it's a Sony movie. Yeah, yeah, it might be. No, it's not. It's it's a uh, twentieth century. I thought. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Fox. All right. What is one of the things that you would read with all the free guy press? Was that like congratulations for, to Disney for not dumping this? And Disney's just like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> we like, we have no yeah, reason to dump things. We just let it sit. Yeah, it's just been there hasn't been anything really exciting. Things are. I'm going to be honest with you, Mario. It doesn't seem like those exciting things are going to come or will be as exciting as we had hoped no, they were. No, for sure. That's, and the things that's that, the that seem that slightly getting. exciting are all going to streaming anyhow. Yeah. Did you see the Power of the Dog trailer that came out today? It looks pretty decent. No, which one's that? That's the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Jesse Plemons, Kristen Dunst film the jane campion oh yeah, yeah yeah no it's i didn't see Netflix. that one it looks good i'm sure it'll be good i'm sure it's gonna it's gonna look great but it's just you know i don't know yeah the netflix like aura over it kind of makes me which was <sighs> not the case a couple of years ago and then like when Ro- when netflix was releasing roma everyone was just like good this is the future yeah release all like big directors and they made you know. Irishman, and people are like, maybe not. <laughs> I know. I was definitely like, maybe Well, I think <laughs> like in retrospect, not. people are like, Irishman probably wasn't the best idea. Oh, I don't know. I think people are like doubling think down. So? I think normal people are saying that. I think like film people are just kind of like doubling down on the idea that like, Martin Scorsese made a difficult three and a half hour movie. But they, they're just all talking about uh, killings of the flower moon. Yeah. Sacred moon. What's it called again? Flower moon. Flower moon. Yeah. Got it right the first time and screwed it up. Killings of the Sacred Deer Moon. Oh, that'd be awesome. They combined those two movies. Well, Tom, as we do sometimes, we drink beer. Uh, I'm in the middle of a dry month, so I'm drinking an athletic brewing beer, a new one. This is actually my first taste of any sort of beerish thing in mm-hmm. three weeks. And I'm <laughs> drinking a Wee Demon, which is Two Roads Locale IPA. Yeah, we're both is- watching our figure. Yeah, literally, we're just watching we're them ready, right now. We're ready for beach season. A couple months too late. No, November. November is perfect beach season. Is it? Yeah, you go out there. The polar, the polar dives, right? Oh, right, right, right. 
That's where we're going. I've always for. wanted to do that. Mine's a hazy IPA. 70 calories. Mine's just an IPA. I think yours is also like 90 calories. 95 calories. Yeah, it's 3.6 or something percent? 3.5? 3.8. Yeah, mine's 0. like 2. 3.8 and a half. Oh, look at these natural ingredients. Water, organic, Vienna malt, malted barley, wheat, hops, and yeast. What did you think it said? I didn't know. Malted butter. It said like... It, it looked like mauled barley at first, and I was like, mauled? Ooh, nice breeze again. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been living all summer, guys, without air conditioning. That's the, the Pivotal Film Towers are uh, undergoing renovations since my copper's been stolen. I think I may have mentioned that in the past. Just once? Or is it like multiple once, times yeah. now? Yeah, but supply chains are garbage. Uh, all right. Dink it from across the long table. Boink. needs to be colder for sure mm. it does taste like um barley tea but uh you know i don't think this is actually bad it's maybe because i haven't had beer in three weeks that i'm like this is pretty pretty tasty well i remember those episodes because i was also thinking about like not drinking tonight and then i was like ah, i want to have some um the episodes that we would do when we were not drinking and our our minds at some point were just like wanted alcohol in them and i wonder if your mind as it like popped that can and then like you put it to your lips your brain was just like this is gonna be a beer and then it wasn't like eating a a, a, a dessert imposter what the fuck's a dessert imposter like, like a grape dessert no it's like dessert that looks like another food that's not dessert oh and then you eat it and like it fucks with your mind because you think if it's really well done you think you're eating like a piece of pizza but then it's like you know, a cookie with some strawberry puree and like all this it. other stuff. And you're no. just like, what is this? Like, I have not missed the, the feeling of intoxication, but I have definitely missed the, the flavor yeah. of beer. And uh, this, this hits it. I got to say, I, I'm looking forward to September and then uh, Sea Hag, but uh, yeah, this isn't bad. Just filling your mouth with the delicious wave of Sea Hag. Well, luckily, you know what's nice about our lives, Tom? Our lives are the fact that we get the choice to drink non-alcohol. Yeah. To, to have the option to not drink alcohol. Uh-huh. But back in the day, long ago, they didn't have that choice. They were always having to drink. And in drinking every day, because they didn't want to get, you know, the various diseases that came from water, they probably thought up some crazy tales. Is this a Spider-Man No Way Home segue? It is. <laughs> you know... Around the table, a large round table pizza. Is that is that common out here? I don't know. Uh, Ra- uh, round table pizza? Yeah. What's that mean? It's a, ra- it's, a it's a West Coast chain of pizza places. I Never guess heard of it. Here. Yeah, it's it's an Arthurian pizza chain. Hmm. I mean, it just looks like it's it's like a pizza hut, but with like stained glass windows. Do you guys have medieval times in the West Coast? There, there was. I mean, I never went to one, but there was one in L.A. What? We gotta go. When COVID's over, that's where we're going. I'm good. Why? I just have no desire to see that. You know who would I bet have some desire to see that? David Lowry? And to visit, to go to the to journey to the West Coast, visit one of those pizza places and stop by Medieval Times. The Green Knight. The Green Bob. Tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. Yet. You have none to tell yet. 
fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. Whatever. Old times. Uh, Dev Patel plays Gawain. Um, and he's a knight. And he's not lived a very interesting life. He's got no tales. When his uncle the king asked him to regale him with a tale of his life so he could know him better, he's got nothing to say. But lo and behold, into the, to the, the hall uh, in Arthur's court comes the green knight. And he asks someone to uh, step up and challenge him. And... Uh, Gawain says he'll do it and then he asks for a sword and his uncle gives him a sword and uh, then the green knight like lays down his axe puts his puts his head down and everyone's confused and and then and then Dev Patel cuts his fucking head off but before that the green knight said that any injury inflicted on him would have to be inflicted on the person who gave him the injury a year hence in the green chapel which is somewhere a year later Dev Patel uh, Gawain I want to call Dev Patel I feel like it is Dev Patel the green knight just is Dev Patel um, he's kind of famous around uh, the little little castle there and a year comes up and he's gotta go a little castle called Camelot sure <laughs> the little CGI castle and uh and uh, he's got to go. And he goes on an adventure, which is simultaneously slow-moving and thrilling. I didn't find it slow-moving at all. That movie... Well, it's slow-moving in the sense that, like, not a lot real... Like, not a lot happens. He goes from... He walks for a while, and then he there's a thing. And then he walks for a while, and there's a thing. He doesn't, like, fight a lot of battles. Anytime he's not, you like, run into Barry Kehan, it's a lot's happening. Yeah. Um, or what's-her-face? Kylie Morgenthau from... Carly Morgenthau from Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Anytime her ghost comes and asks you to find her head, you know you're in for good times. Um, he eventually finds the Green Knight and uh, the, the, the bond is of the challenge is sealed. And that's the end of the movie. And we idiots s- think that the Green Knight actually kills Gawain because they haven't read the story. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, Do we have to we just ignore the fact that, 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 that people think that? I don't think the story matters. No. But um, I don't think it's important. And I think, because I, I've heard David Lowry talk about it, and I know he doesn't think it's important either. Um, that, like, people can think whatever they want. Regardless of what happens, everything's been, like, kind of sewn up. We saw this together. Um... At an, at an awesomely packed theater. Yeah, it was packed. Um, the day it came, the weekend it came like out. The weekend, it was yeah. the Sunday it came out. And it's still making money. Like people are still going to see this movie. I don't know what it's like, where it is in it's terms at of sixteen point seven million, which is not bad. Which is good. I mean, I, I think they more than its budget. It's fifteen. Million. Right, and I think it's broken a bunch of. Um, I know it bro- broke a couple A twenty four records. Um, 
on its way to to that. I don't know what those were. Um, I thought it was fucking great. Um, I've um, wanted to watch it again, and I will watch it again as soon as the the rental price drops from twenty bucks to to seven, um, or it lands somewhere. But I'm guessing it's not going to land somewhere for a while because it's it's going to be making. It seems like it's making money. It seems like word of mouth is kind of yeah. slowly trickling out there, and people are wanting to see it. Dev Patel is fucking great. David Lowry is great. Alicia Vikander plays, um, uh, what's her name? Essel and the lady who he finds at a castle on the way to the Green Chapel. Um, I am, I even said this to you the day of, I'm not 100% sure what she's doing, but it worked. It seemed a little, like, bizarre. Like, her, her, her speech as Essel before the Green Knight leaves, like, for the year, um, or after the year is up, before he goes on his thing, um is really like impassioned, but there's also, there's like a weird quality to it. But I thought it was really effective and re- worked really well, well with I think, the tone of this What movie. I think it is, is everyone in this film is matching the energy that Lowry's putting forward. I think so. Um, and that's kind of like becomes Lowry's thing is the fact that he knows how to direct his actors in the fact that like every one of his films, the energy by which you, what you're seeing or the energy by which the story's flowing, mostly just the images and then later the music, um, is matched by the acting. There's no like discordance there. There's no dissonance. It, it it flows, and that in itself, the kind of the way the performances are being done, kind of carries the thematic qualities of the need. Well, like just you know, when you have Sean Harris kind of just whisper speaking everything, mm-hmm. it carries kind of the heaviness that you feel when the Green Knight enters. Well, and everything feels so natural in these movies. And I I've talked about this. I think when we when I reviewed. Um, the old man and the gun. Like there's a point in the old man and the gun where Casey Affleck just seems like he's not acting anymore. And he's just kind of really enjoying having conversations with Robert Redford. And he's just kind of like amused and like having a good time. And, and it seems like David Lowry chose to just be like, fuck it. Like this is the tone. Like this perfectly matches the tone. And you're just like, wow, this is a, just like a fun movie. No. Um, and the same thing happens here. It's different. Like this movie's fun, but it's not fun in the same way. But, like, it seems like he's growing this film, like, totally organically. And it cha- like, and he's able to kind of um, maneuver certain aspects of it so that every... Like, so, like you said, everyone matches his energy. And nothing, regardless of how weird it seems, seems actually weird. It seems mm. like the appropriate thing to be happening at that moment. I mean, I think... The other thing, so Alicia Vikander, but also the scene when he goes down to get the head, when all of a sudden we're in like With, uh, Winifred. Yeah, all of a sudden we're in like, um, I don't know, a Ben Wheatley movie or like Mandy. Well, it has, it has that like, da- it has that David Robert Mitchell quality in Under the Silver Lake where they grow underneath the water and it's impossibly all, large. And right, and there's black. all these col- but there's all these colors. The sounds get kind of like. A little distorted and a little weird, and he's down there for a while, and you're not 100 percent sure what's happening. It's a level of experimentation we're not really used to with Lowry, but it works. It works it absolutely. It works as like a perfect, like, um, substitute, or not even a substitute, like almost like a visual metaphor for whatever the hell is supposed to be happening at that moment. When you're watching, you're like, well, yeah. And the fact that like it adds to the fact that you know he's impossibly kind of sinking to the ground. To the bottom of the lake, or yeah. the giants. The giants, the same thing. You're like, yeah. well, that's a screen. I don't care. It's awesome. Exactly. 
Awesome. Um, what? No, I was just wondering what the it's your phone. Um, no, exactly. I I think those moments of kind of this this fantastical nature work because of the fact that it's overall a fantastical story, but it's not so blatant like you would usually see with these sort of tales. It's kind of the same thing you did with Pete's Dragon. Yeah. Where it's Pete's Dragon's this really fantastical Disney story, but it, he kind of, he still grounds it in some way to where it's still feels feasible in kind of like an adjacent world. But how does he ground it? He grounds it in like cinematography. Mm. He grounds it in picking the exact right song. He, 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 I was there's a to... real, nat- and there's a naturalism sure. too. The fact that like the woods when, you know, Godwin's tied up feel just like the, the the film police coming for us <laughs> feel just like the some backwoods that you're going to be you know there's there's no need to entangle tree trunks or whatnot it's just woods you know like there's fantastic things going on but they're entrenched in this real world yeah and it almost seems like the woods become enchanted as he passes through them yeah, like absolutely. dev patel's presence in that wood at that time dressed like that with a horse sells the woods as something and uh, and, like, and it builds up to the actual like the fact that the green chapel in itself is like the one enchanted looking place with sure. the vines and everything growing on it and it looks like a like a you know 16th century oil painting mm-hmm. for like two minutes so tom real real question on the films that feature come where's this rank i mean you got van wilder you got there's something about mary you got green knight you got what's that what's that gasper no no a movie Oh, uh, like Climax? No, not Climax. The one before that. I mean, like, Climax the, the 3D actual. porn movie. Um, love, love, love. love. Yeah, I yeah, wasn't yeah. thinking Climax. I was thinking Love. I don't think Love counts. It has to I be, don't think Love counts It either. has to be fake semen. Because we can't say like nine songs. Um, we can't say oh, Short Bus, you know. I think that's short, short Bus. short Bus have, <laughs> short bus have <laughs> semen? I, I think it think did. Sh- uh, okay. I don't think it does. It has unstimulated sex, but I don't think it has semen. Maybe, yeah. Nine maybe songs We're confusing them. You know the unsimulated sex eventually did produce semen. We just well, don't get maybe, to see maybe it. Maybe they stopped. So it's a brown bunny situation. Um, well, they might have finished. Maybe that guy <laughs> has blue balls to this day. <laughs> That's why Vincent Gallo has never made another movie. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it shouldn't be, maybe, but it was, uh, uh, you know, we talked about it after. Uh, I just couldn't believe they did it. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's and it's so... Like, it's a close-up. It's on hands and stuff. Minus like the slight bit of violence in the film mm-hmm. in the beginning it's it, that's like the sudden like grounding of it that's a sudden and it, it leads to the impactfulness of kind of his once again failing at purity sort of thing um, and I think that that's another thing that works it's just like he Lowry knows in all these films like the pie scene in Ghost Story we're to punch you in the fucking face with something oh, like yeah. a real thematic punch of just something that doesn't necessarily matter too much mm-hmm. Um, but it just works as just like this. It is that kind of crash symbol in the middle that is completely out of tone from everything else that makes you go like, oh shit. And, and yeah, it represents like a real shift in the story. Absolutely. But I think your, your idea that it makes you kind of, um, it almost makes you wake up a little bit. And now that you were falling asleep because that whole sequence in the castle is awesome, but it's just kind of, it reminds you. No, it has like, it has like a, a, uh, like the film it, up to that point has a nursery rhyme quality or kind of like a hymn quality to where you kind of like flow with the music of it. Yeah. And that just 
takes you completely out of that moment and go like, what the fuck? Well, honestly, that that was the moment because the whole time we were, I was watching it, and I was like, I, my kids could totally watch this movie. Like, you know, it's weird. Um, he cuts off his head, but there's enough fantastical elements there where he doesn't actually die. Right. Um, I think is there a sex scene in it? Are him and Alicia Vikander like having sex? It's like the post sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's a cum scene, and then I could just picture in my mind like my kid saying like, "What's that?" And like a perfect beat, like, "What's that?" And I'd be like, "Ah, oh, now I don't want to do this anymore." Good, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out, guys, because the end is cool. Um, except there's more sex in the end. Um, but I think I mean this movie has the uh, uh, the um, distinction of making me not hate seeing Joel Edgerton in a movie because even he was kind of good in it for like, you know, he wasn't asked to do I, a ton, but he I was don't good. I think Joel Edgerton's bad necessarily. I, I just think Joel Edgerton just like does, puts out the energy that he's given. Well, so I was talking to my wife about this because she was watching that horrible Amazon show, Modern, Fa- uh, Modern Love. Have you seen any Modern Love yet? I don't watch TV shows, man. It's like an anthology show. I'm trying to make myself watch this Nine Perfect Strangers show because of its cast. Yeah, no. Is it that bad? We started it, and it was just kind of like, you know what? Not doing I, it. I, TV shows, I don't like TV. Oh, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. I there. like Loki. That's about it. My wife likes TV. She likes it enough. She just likes the novelty of it, and she likes how short it is. Oh, an AEW Dynamite, but that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. No, we've been the one, like, she's been into, like, Ted Lasso, and it's... That that shit is hard, even though I think it's pretty. Ted Lasso's good. Though. Well made. I, I just got bored with it because right. it's, it's too much. It's super fucking boring, and who cares? Because everything's gonna work out in the end, and who gives a shit? No. Um, but Garrett Headland is in one of these. Uh, it's an anthology series, and he's like uh, the main character in one of the things. And Nicolette was like, "Who is this guy, and why is he so bad?" I was like, "He is one of the guys, along with a guy who we're gonna talk about in a little bit, although he's actually good." Um, Joel Kinnaman, um, who at some point in like the mid two thousands, Hollywood was like, we need to re up on our white on our white guys. Like we're we're running out of white white tall white guys to like be famous and stuff. What was this? Zero Dark Thirty was his like turning point, right? Zero Dark Thirty Jared and Headland? no uh, Edgerton. Yeah, um, and Loving. Right. Loving was later though, because he was big with Great Gat by Great Gatsby. He was well. Great Gatsby was interesting because like only hit, only Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio and Carrie Mulligan were big, and then it had a bunch of other people in it that were in a lot of stuff, but weren't necessarily like famous yet or household names. Mm, yeah. And then Joel Edgerton kind of became like a thing. Um, but he's just Joel Edgerton for the longest time for me has just been one of those guys. He's a character actor. He's fine. Um, he's not as terrible as Jason Clark. He's not, you know, as just god awful as um, Garrett Headland or any of the guys in Zero Dark. Uh, not Zero Dark Thirty in fucking Triple Frontier. Remember Triple Frontier? Yeah, I like Pedro Pascal though. Pedro Pascal, sorry. but I don't think he's a very good actor. No, he's charismatic. <laughs> as if Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, is any evidence? He's very. I'm a Mandalorian, like. He's charismatic in that, even just his voice. It's <laughs> just his voice and his face once a Joel Edgerton cannot direct a film, though. We'll, we'll say that. Which, what, yeah, what? The ma- King and Boy Erased are his two. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy Erased was. Boy Erased and, was. And weird. The King was rough. I don't think I saw The King. I thought, I thought we reviewed The King, did we? The King was. 
that Timothy Chalamet. We never reviewed the game. Okay. We reviewed that Robert Pattinson Scotland movie. I don't remember that one. He was. Uh, it's a. Is it a Hemsworth brother? Oh, the Chris Pine one. The Chris Pine one. That's the one. That's the Florence Pugh movie. You Florence gotta say Pugh Florence movie. Pugh. Right. That's the first. That was like the 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 movie that really like locked me in the Florence. Pugh. I thought it was King Lear. That Amazon's <laughs> Amazon's King Lear with Anthony Hopkins. I think it was, was, I think it was like sorts. around those same time, wasn't it? Yeah, there was like all that stuff around the same. I think time. I saw the Florence Pugh scene. Well, in a lot of people King did. first. A tense scene, man. Um, but anyway, Green Knight. Uh, I really fucking liked it. I mean, it, it hit it hit me hard. Yeah, and it's 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 something that I would recommend to anybody because. Um, I'm not a big in Arthurian legend, but of what I've read of Arthurian legend, this is the one that hits the best because it is still so grounded in the real world and it's yet has that fantastical element that the Arthurian legend has. Um, I was watching Rick Stevens, uh, touring Europe Mm -hmm. yesterday and he was talking about, uh, a trip to the Dolomites and how, um, some of the towns there, they do, um, wood carvings of the, um, the birth of, of Christ and, and Bruce and Bethlehem. And they, they show it more has like a town in the Dolomites than they do has a, you know, a town in desert Israel. And this, this kind of like has that feeling in the sense of the Arthurian legends were similar in the fact that they had to be grounded, but they also had to tell these like fantastical tales of not only the value, but of, but of qualities that were considered godly. Right? Yeah. And, and moral tales mm-hmm. that had a grounding in reality, but still those fantastic elements that would draw in people. Um, and I think most things that are Arthurian either hedge too far into the fantastical, like, uh, what was that, like Excalibur or, yeah, or yeah, Camelot, yeah. Yep. Um, or hedge too far into the realistic. And this is just that perfect symmetry of the two. Well, so there's a, there's a moment... And if I think out the cum scene, this is also perfectly fine for kids. I think. I think so. It's and it's. I think it's a good. It would be a perfect first like real adult movie mm-hmm. because it feels very adult, while not a lot of stuff is like like happening that is adult. But I know that we had long conversation. No, it was a long conversation. It was a conversation until um, we couldn't have the conversation anymore about uh, like. The end, and I think there's a duality. Like the, I think the kind of fighting off a duality and finding the perfect like balance between the two things, so it's no longer a duality between realism and fantasy. It exists in its own little universe. There's a shot when he leaves Camelot, like when he first leaves Camelot to go on his thing, and there's like a broken down old like battlement or something to the left, and on the right is a super CGI'd. Um, Camelot that looks almost like straight out of um, uh, Wolf Walkers, but like a little hazier actually. Um, and that was one of the things for me. And they do it a couple times, and they do it two more times in the movie, where it almost seems like he's aware of the space the movie is occupying as the movie is going on. Like here's a real ruin right next to a CGI fully formed castle. And then I think something similar happens again when Barry Keogh's little tribe, you know, gets him and they tie him up and then the thing circles, the camera circles away from him and then it circles back to him. We think a bunch of time has passed because he's just a skeleton. And then the camera circles back again 
and he's alive again. You know what I mean? That kind of it kind of exists in these in these two worlds. And then the ending, which I know was controversial for you, um, where he's about to get his you know head cut off, and he says and he runs away, and then a, a whole bunch of stuff happens where he becomes king. Uh, him and Alicia Vikander have a baby, but he takes that baby and he marries, uh, you know, some royalty and he fights a war and then he's, you know, he's going to die in that war and all this other stuff. Um, when, until it flashes back to him, just like still like on his knees there. Um, I think those two places, those three places show the exact thing I think that you're speaking to. Um, that it's, it's, it owns its it owns its spot rather than like hedging too far into realism or like the fantastical nature it's it can kind of do kind of be all those it can kind of be all those things simultaneously and still feel feel real and feel compelling um but yeah i thought that that's a good that's a that's a good point i like thinking about that it makes me happy i i think with time like i initially had some issues with that kind of like fake ending but at the time i think i think it's fine i i think it's a, still a little messy and an overdone kind of film touch but um i think he did it for rhythm because yeah, if he I, just I kneels down if he just goes to the thing and then you know he's just there and then a movie ends it's missing it just it's gonna feel very empty um and i think one of the things that it does is it allows you to perceive then that he spent a bunch of time in the presence of the green knight so we're not just kind of Oh, here's the Green Knight. All right, time to cut. Time to time to do for the headshot. Time to die. <laughs> time to chop off your head. Yeah, I, I think ultimately it works. Um, I just maybe because coming with bias of like other films that had done that similar ending and failed in but doing the, it. And I think he's trying to. But I think he's doing it for a reason. I think he's. I don't. And not even just rhythm. Rhythm. I think he's doing it um, so it can be a fantasy and a story that's actually happening. A, uh, you know, a legend and a story that's happening simultaneously. Mm. Agreed. The hollow of my neck just spilled sweat. <laughs> spilled sweat out. It reached its capacity. Well, we're doing like hot yoga while while reviewing films. I'm gonna get um yeah. So what's the next one we're gonna do? Well, we're doing Suicide Squad, which is a hot movie. Nah. Which is perfect for this temperature. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan Hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me into a werewolf! Yo, let me out! Yeah, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish? is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? I don't know when they go. I don't have my headphones. No. Well, we're back in the Suicide Squad. They're coming back. This time, James Gunn is directing, not David Ayer. David Ayer is too busy directing Shia LaBeouf in movies now. That's hey, David Ayer thinks he did a great job. We just didn't get to see it. 
I heard there was some other interview where somebody said like they saw like his original cut and it was also bad. And I think it was like Joel Kinnaman or somebody. Like somebody oh, really? in this film was like, yeah, it still was like what you saw. No, there was what was Jason Momoa said something about some other movie he was in, and he was just like, oh, they gotta release it. I don't remember what it was. Maybe he still thinks Justice League didn't come out. <laughs> The first season of uh, Game of Thrones. He's he wants to redone. Decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyhow, Suicide Squad's back. This time, they're going to uh, Corto Maltese, this unknown island country, and they're separated into two teams. And one team lands on a beach and is almost instantaneously wiped out, including Captain Boomerang from the first one. Sorry, Jay Courtney. You uh, had your shot, and uh, now you're gone. Um, meanwhile, Margot... Oh, sorry. Yeah, fuck it. Margot Robbie's captured. Uh, Harley Quinn. And uh, Rick Flagg escapes. But the other team now, on the other side of the island, consisting of Peacemaker and King Shark and Polka Dot Man and Ratchcatcher 2 and Bloodsport, they kind of sneak in. And they're going to go to Jotunheim because there's some sort of secret experiment there called Project Starfish they got to destroy. And they go through... Corto Maltese, they get Rick Flagg back. They kill a bunch of rebels accidentally. Which is a good scene. Harley Quinn is being, you know, paramoured by uh, the, the new dictator of Corto Maltese, but she realizes he's an awful person, so she kills him and escapes. And eventually they get to Jotunheim with the help of kidnapping Thinker, who's the head of this project, and it turns out Project Starfish is the Starro, the, the, the destroyer, a giant alien starfish that controls people's minds. Uh, and it turns out America was helping fund this, and really their project was to destroy America's involvement in it. And Rick Flagg's like, I don't dig that, and John Cena's like, I'm going to kill you now. And then he does. And then John Cena gets shot in the neck, and then Starro escapes and stuff happens, blah, blah, blah. Starro takes over a lot of people, blah, blah, blah. There's an ending fight scene, and eventually Starro's dead. And then they're like, hey, Amanda Waller, you gotta, you got to give us you know, a pardon. Because we got all this evidence. And she's like, okay, I guess. Remember when I was in those, those Tom Selleck, Jesse Stone movies? And you're like, what? No. And she's like, remember when I got nominated for Doubt and won for Fences? Remember when I was doing those things? At least I make a lot of money doing this movie. Uh, it's this is fine. That's, that's my best review of it. It's perfectly entertaining. Yep. I was drinking beer while watching it, and that's the perfect way to watch it. Um, everyone's doing their part. I, don't, I think the, the thing that shines out here are the performances, because this script at times is not the best, oh. because James Gunn... Because Warner Brothers pulled a Netflix here. Uh, I assume they told him, you cannot kill off Margot Robbie, and read like Nor it if you she. kept... We'd like it if you kept Idris Elba alive, because we probably have plans for you him mean as well. Knuckles. Yeah, um, those were probably the two limitations he had, and he was like, "Okay." And yeah. then he just wrote a bunch of James Gunn jokes, which a lot of times are the James Gunn jokes that he got fired from Guardians of the Galaxy for, like the butthole joke. That doesn't make any sense, and it's not funny, but it works because John Cena says it with a very straight face. Two. To Viola Davis yeah. with a shark next to him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is one of the best things I've seen Sylvester Stallone do. Sylvester yep. Stallone's always hilarious in this. Everyone is doing the work they need to do. Sylvester Stallone, and obviously he's not in a shark costume. 
King Shark disguising himself with a finger mustache and getting really Big upset mu- when they tell him that Big it's terrible. Mustache. No, that's, that looks terrible. Fuck. Friends. Yeah. This it's all great. all the performances are great. The movie itself is completely fine. Uh, that's all there is. It. it the, the further away I get from it, the less I like it. I like. Yeah. It's it's hard to to say. I dislike this film because no. the performances are so good. Yeah. But everything else surrounding this movie kind of stinks. I think it's poorly directed. I think it, it's weirdly I think the directed. action scenes kind of look like shit. Mm. I think so. I just don't. Uh, the uh, Rick Flag and uh, Peacemaker fight scene's good. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, all of it's kind of stupid. I think even the attack on the rebel base that's kind of like largely hailed as a good comedy action scene, I think I thought was stupid. Well, because the tone is weird there because all blood sport for the entire time was the one guy who was good at stuff. And then all of a sudden they're doing this thing and he's like an idiot and he's like slap fighting with peacemaker. And he's like, I mean him just standing there burning people when peacemakers like up on a roof, like, you know, walking across the roof and then peacemaker jumps down and then Idris Elba is just standing like, that was, that was good. Yeah, was it's pretty funny. And the fact that they were, like, good guys is also amusing to me. But, like, there's stuff that happened inside of that. And I was like, well, this is just wrong. The jokes matter more here than, like, any kind of consistency in character story. And that's, and that's the issue. I think, even though I'm not the biggest Guardians of the Galaxy fan... The jokes serve the plot, right? Like, ultimately, the thing that matters the most is moving the story forward. And there's always, there's the turn, at least in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, where it stops kind of being a comedy for a while, Mm -hmm. just so they could do the ego stuff, and later on the um, Michael Rooker character stuff. I forgot his name. doesn't matter. Um, I forget his name, too. Lando, 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 or something like that. Whatever. Fucking, there's... uh, Yondu. Yondu, yeah. Got it. Um, so it knows when to turn itself. This movie doesn't. It just keeps going at this kind of breakneck pace with its jokes. And the plot itself is so rudimentary that it just doesn't matter in the end. Because you get this terrible third act. The entire Starro escaping scene sucks ass. Except for the fact that I think Starro looks, looks good. good. The, the, yeah, I, the character design... Was all great. throughout this is great. Yeah, and I think it's it, when you know I was watching him shoot fucking tiny squids from his armpits, and I was like, "Oh, that's like weird, tissuey, fleshy stuff, and it's flapping around, and that's gross." And which or means like when it's he gets good. when he gets like eviscerated by polka dot man's um, yeah black hole dots. Uh, that that looks cool, and it's like it's gruesome, but not necessarily like over the top gruesome. It's mm-hmm. just like gross and it it makes sense for an alien being well i think to to your point like i think the thing that they used to use they use the jokes in the guardians of the galaxy movie to uh to establish like team building to bring the characters closer together and for some reason in this movie they don't do that the jokes are comedy jokes they exist like in 30 rock just to be jokes or in some other kind of any other situation comedy situation you know, when John Cena asks if the starfish is related to a butthole, seriously, that's a joke. It's got nothing to do with anything. The jokes in Guardians of the Galaxy always have something to do with something. Yeah, and I, I would say from... A le- and the thing that's frustrating here is actually, like, your minor characters do have some characterization. Do have, like, the entire relationship arc 
between Ratcatcher, King Shark, and to an extent like Polka Dot Man and like Ratcatcher caring about Polka Dot Man is like signs of the good movie in here. But then when it's kind of covered by like Bloodsport doing his shit and Peacemaker kind of like purely being John Cena in a comedy and Margot Robbie kind of like when untethered can go too far with her Harley Quinn. Like that's the stuff I don't need to see. Although not far enough. Yeah, that's the stuff... Like, I just don't need to see. Well, I'll say well too this. far in the sense of being so separated from... She's in a different, she's in yeah, a different she's movie a different sometimes. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'll say this, though. Idris Elba is a better Will Smith character. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean come on. That's, that's but, like, given. when... He, when he, he, oh, I don't know why I'm stuttering saying Idris Elba's name. Idris Elba owns, like, certain scenes of this movie. Yeah. That Will Smith just can't do. I mean, there's... People making had made a compelling argument, I think, that like Bloodsport could be an, a legitimate villain in a Superman movie now, just yeah. based on what he did. Just like you could see him turning it off to have that like kind of like badass sort of persona, more so than like whatever the fuck Will Smith was doing with Deadshot. Um, which is nothing. And and <laughs> that's not to say, nothing. and that is also to say like beyond the fact that like regardless of David Ayer's writing or direction, like Will Smith was just piss poor in the original Suicide Squad. But there was nothing in... to recommend in the Suicide Squad except for Harley Quinn. And like, the Harley Quinn thing was just kind of a perfect serendipity I of... I thought Courtney was fine. But, but he's just so annoying. And like, the yes. whole Australian boomerang guy shit thing. It's just And those guys are so crass. And there's just... They're like... I don't even want to... They're not relatable because who... It's not about, like, relatability. It's not about redeemability or anything like that. You just really didn't care if any of those guys lived or died. Or you kept hoping that Polka Dot Man would die valiantly at some point because he wants to die. His life sucks. Like, and he's an interesting character. Like, you didn't want Ratcatcher 2 to die because you know, she'd suffered and she was a good person and all this other stuff. You wanted King Shark to just be with his new dumb friends forever, you know, and all that stuff. You wanted Waller's brains to be on the on the golf club that they used to fucking hit her with because Viola Davis single-handedly tries to ruin this movie um, by just being like, to Viola Davis in relation to people that are goofing around. They're goofing around on Cult of Maltese or whatever. And she's back on the island being like, you better fucking do this or I'm going to fucking kill your kid. It really feels like... I'm going to kill you and imprison your child. It really feels like Viola Davis just didn't want to be in this movie, to be honest. Or she was just angry about something. Even her subordinates in that film are kind of like trying to match that... Like the team with her are trying to match that energy... That, you know, the regular film is doing. Mm-hmm. And she's just like in a world to herself. Right. And that she's she's doing a David Ayer sequel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To the point she where... She might have not known that, that James Gunn was directing. Maybe something we don't know is that David Ayer's record... Maybe all that stuff was from <laughs> the original movie. That just green screened the, the new TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a scene where Viola Davis, like a, a blooper where she fell down. Can we CGI like her getting hit with a club? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they could do that. They could totally do that. Um, you saw Alfred Molina. That guy's old. If they can add Tig Notaro into a movie, they can... Well, they couldn't. We found out that they actually couldn't. Um, but I think that's all that stuff is to the point where, like, this movie stopped short of being kind of a great... I'll say this, though. It's the best of all the DC movies. I, I, I prefer Birds of Prey, still. See, and I watched that, and I didn't like it. See, I, just, I don't know. It's something... It's too much. It's too much story. And it doesn't make any sense. 
Why is she a regular person? But all I of think a sudden? I think everybody agreed. But I think that's we we talked about this with the fact that like that character is like what Mar- Margaret Robbie's done best. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's too untethered. And like for the first time, Birds of Prey kind of tethered her, and so everything, all the energies being matched, mm-hmm. like. Ewan McGregor's the one that's like a little too much in it. He does a lot of wooing. Yeah, but, but at the same time, like, tonally, it's consistent. And I would say, yes, Suic- The Suicide Squad's a better film overall, but Birds of Prey is a more consistent movie I mean, overall. I'll say that Birds of Prey is probably my number two. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's a deep valley afterwards. And then, but. like, Justice League, the Snyder Cut is number three? And then Aquaman, I guess, except for the fact that Aquaman f- is fucking stupid because it's Aquaman. And after that, it just doesn't matter. Because then you matter. have to mention like Shazam or something, and that's no. just, you just can't do that. I don't, I don't watch Zachary Levi movies. Not even the Kurt Warner one coming up, huh? No. When I saw that he was in the Mauritanian, I was like, I know this is a screener, and I want to watch it for like, you know, our best of the end of the year list. I paid $95 to get access to these screeners. But I want to turn this off. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch in a mustache and a southern accent talking to Zachary Levi. That's a swole Zachary Le- Levi. I'm fucking out. <laughs> I am out hard on that. Yeah, I think I think what maybe what was disappointing about this is the fact that there is such like a disconnect between the film as a whole, as a whole production, and the performances. Because mm-hmm. the performances are so good. They're elevating those sometimes terrible lines but then you get this film where randomly blood sport where in a film that's tried to be somewhat grounded at times mm-hmm. in like injury suddenly has blood sport falling 15 stories floor by floor i mean that was awesome but I like hated, i fucking hated oh, that did you? scene yeah or thinker just being in like a shitty 10 foot high wall bar after everything being kind of colorful and having its own kind of flavor, it's not even the it's not even like the nature of the bar. It's the fact that like they're like he goes to this bar, and in any other movie, when you're like he goes to this bar, he's like a guy at the bar. He's like owns the bar, and he just is a guy sitting at the bar. <laughs> he literally <laughs> everyone just goes else to is the like bar. a person. Everyone else is just like a regular person, and there's this guy with fucking, you know, nobody cares penis enhancement. <laughs> machines on his head. Yeah, that was. I thought that was really odd. I was like, I'm interested to see what like him coming to this bar looks like. And it's like, no, he's just gonna. And I'll, and I'll say this too has like has has a. I guess another thing that's really distracting for me is the gore stinks in this. It's very squishy. It's, it's CGI. It's CGI yeah. gore. And I'm sorry if you're gonna do a gory action film like this, you gotta do some practical stuff nowadays. Like James Gunn comes from the trauma. You know, class of just yeah. practical shit. Too big. It's too... Like, a head that gets sliced isn't going to perfectly slice off like that. Well, even if it the only does thing that looked, The only thing that looked good was, like, uh, Pete Davidson's headshot. Because, like, I'm, I'm assuming, like, when he falls, like, when it happens, it's probably air-spliced with maybe a real kind of, like, mannequin set. Probably. You know? But, like, all the air stuff just looks like shit. It's, and it looks... Yeah, it looks like a video game. Yeah, like a, exactly. Like, a, like a, one of those awesome... Like late '90s, like shooters where like they kind of figured out how to light like blood. Postal. Yeah, and then you know, and everything came out. It was instead of it wasn't pixelated. It was like roundish, and you were like, "Ooh, gross." Yeah, and this kind of looked like that. Yeah, I don't know. It was. Just, I, I think uh, it's fine. I know what you mean. 
I, I feel the, I feel literally the exact same way about it. Um, maybe like a little more positively because I had no expectations like at all. And I'm not saying that you had expectations. I didn't have expectations. You did? I did not have expectations. Right. But like you come from, you, you like that stuff more. Like, you know, I guess I was, I, I came from it with wrong expectations. I expected more of like a trauma sort of thing. Right. And it just had like hints of the trauma meanness. I mean, to, to my, I think my last comment on it to that point is, so there's trauma meanness, but if, Harley Quinn can't exist in a trauma movie that's not a trauma movie. Because then you just keep saying, and we talked about this, you just keep saying the idea that, like, she's deranged, she's fucked up. She hasn't done anything remotely fucked up. Like, because trauma is too fun, like, for her to not do really fucked up shit. Like, because if she's not doing really fucked up shit, then she's just having a good time. Yeah, she'd be like, if this is more trauma, she'd be killing, like, kids. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's why I really wanted Lars... I really want Lars von Trier to direct the next Harley Quinn movie. I want her to really suffer. And for her to make people suffer. Or just like, no, maybe she doesn't suffer. She just makes people suffer. Willem Dafoe, her, and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Or they remake Antichrist with just... With her in it. Can Matt Dillon be a, a side character? He's just watching... He actually, that's the hell he fell into. Is he just drags a de- the body The hell he point. fell into in the end of House That Jack Built is the DC Extended Universe. Well, no, imagine like, imagine Antichrist with Harley Quinn and Charlotte Gainsbourg and all the oohs that would, <laughs> that would come from her. And that's what I want out of Harley Quinn. If you're going to make her fucked up, make her fucked up. And it's the same problem I had with, it's the same problem I had with Birds of Prey. It's like, whoa, she's so fucked up. She just got really drunk and danced a lot. In like the opening sequence, and then she ate well, some birds gross of prey, stuff. Birds of hyena. prey is doesn't really paint her as fucked up. Birds of prey paints her as like she was fucked up. Joker left her, and now she's extremely vulnerable, and we can kill her. But like, she's still like she has a mis- but, she, but I think birds of that's what I, what I like about birds of prey is like it kind of totally explains that by saying like yeah she did some like some fucked up shit like the breaking of the guy's leg and whatnot like that's. That is like the most fucked up thing we've seen Harley Quinn do in these movies. Yeah, the most purposely just, just being mean a jerk for no reason like whatsoever. Yeah, but that guy deserved to be hurt too. Oh, for so sure. Like there's because you got to make her into some sort of I protagonist. Know. But like it was it, it hints at like the fucked up shit she did when she was protected by Joker and now right. she's not. And that's I guess that's kind of like what I dig about Birds of Prey. This is just I don't think and it's another thing. It's I don't got some a good Chris Messina I love Christmasina. I like him in that too a lot. No, let's get all the Christmasina. More Christmasina, please. Um, a movie Christmasina is not in, but maybe, maybe could have been. You can get rid of Alex Wolf, maybe, and get Christmasina in. Or you could just rewrite Alex Wolf's first hour of the movie. That would be great. Rewrite the movie. <laughs> oh, is this gonna be the? Is this gonna be? Ah, ah, oh, ah, ah! I'm so excited. All right. Uh, the next movie we're talking about, if you couldn't tell by our Alex Wolf's <laughs> comments, is not old. It is Pig. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone star. I don't understand. Tell me you are. You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. 
are you thinking? I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. Nicholas Cage plays Robin Feld, although we don't know that when the movie starts. When the movie starts, he's living in the woods of outside Portland, and he's... I like the fuck Seattle comment. That was good. Um, and he's got a pig, a really attractive-looking, beautifully groomed pig, um, and the pig is a truffle pig, and they go into the woods, and they find truffles, and he sells those truffles to Alex Wolf. Who plays Amir? Amir, who is a food distributor, like a high-end food distributor. That's what the job He's is. A supplier, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, his, it's the only guy he sells to. It looks like he gets paid in supplies, which is neat. He does not take showers. Doesn't seem like he just makes delicious-looking mushroom tarts and finds truffles and does not listen to cassette tapes. With a woman's voice on it. That's what he does. And then in the night, one night, someone comes and steals his pig. So he's got to get it back. The rest of the movie is a is uh, an adventure of sorts. Of Robin re-entering a society he left behind. It sounds like ten years ago. Um, uh, in favor of his kind of um, totally off the grid woods life trying to find his pig because he knows the high-end food market he knows who would be interested in taking a pig who would be interested in the things that he has to offer um these uh lead him to uh, a couple of meth heads who it sounds like steal truffles and not unlike the situation you're in with the copper wiring you know they're, they're just truffles mario there's also truffles in the back as well they, they left that there, but took the copper. If a pig just walked out of your bedroom right now, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's a really attractive pig. Um, it leads him to an underground, some kind of underground fight club for yeah. restaurant workers. It leads him to visit a really douchey restaurant uh, fronted by uh, a guy who used to cook for him and was always overcooking the pasta. It leads him into an incredible Adam Arkin who doesn't say anything while just being totally fucking awesome. Um, and then it eventually leads for him to, to him cooking a meal again and saying some just totally fucking awesome shit about, like, the end of the world um, and, like, loving stuff. Um, and I, won't, I guess I won't spoil it because we don't have to... I don't think we have to spoil it to talk about the movie because um, it actually really doesn't, like, affect... Like the nature of the movie, I kind of really liked Pig. I liked aspects of it more than other ones. I think there's parts of the script that just fucking stink, and it made me really mad how bad some of the script was. I don't know what the fuck Alec Wolf's Amir's problem is. He's just a fucking asshole. 
like, and I know later in the movie they try to frame him as like kind of being insecure and trying to make it on his own. And then when you meet his dad, because um, Amir and uh, Adam Arkin plays Amir's dad, Darius, who is also a food distributor, but who apparently owns Portland's food scene, like in a mafioso way, whatever that means. Which is good, I guess. That's good work if you could. Probably good money, yeah. If you could get it. Um, so he's got fucking, a nice house. So many fucking hipsters in Portland, man. I know, I know. Um, but he's just a dick. And I guess you could say that he's trying to ape his father. But it doesn't come off like that early in the movie. And it doesn't feel like that is earned later in the movie. He's just a fucking ape, asshole. Ape of God, his father? Ape of God, yeah. Um, a lot of things are his fault. But not this is only partially. Um I don't understand the fight club. Like, I don't get it. Why do restaurant workers need a fight club? And it doesn't even seem like they fight. It seems like they put down a certain amount of cards to get the opportunity to just punch someone in the face a bunch of times. And that's run by a guy named Edgar. And who the fuck is Edgar? I always wonder, is like, is it like a frustration thing that the restaurant workers want to take out? Like, the frustration of the job? I don't know. This is the... Like, I guess this is the thing that bugs me about it, is that it feels simultaneously like such a minor film in the sense of it's, it's hitting a lot of those story beats of uh, loss and grief um, that, you know, Nicolas Cage has done himself <laughs> recently in the past, uh, but it's, it's not doing anything new. And in the I same think, way, it's right. also not doing anything to an extent that is particularly interesting. Another issue I had with this film is, oh my god, Get, turn up the color a bit. I can't see shit during this oh, movie. Oh yeah, it like I think my biggest complaint. This is like one of the few times I'll say this is it shot like ass. Well, it's shot very formulaically, and but it's they also didn't shoot it well. And it's like they forgot lighting. Everything's framed exactly as you would frame a movie. This type of movie, but it's even just, the daytime scenes are dark though well the daytime did you are, have that issue as well not uh no but they, there's like but there's like this haze to like the my problem with scene. the sh- with the shooting is that like and i guess maybe that's interesting although this doesn't really happen in movies all the time the sun is always doing something totally different and i know it is in real life too but the color of this movie looks totally different from like one shot to another shot so I think one of the things that you and me are used to, and maybe a lot of I discerning... I thought it was always, like, washed out. But that's the thing. What I'm going to say is that I think a lot of discerning moviegoers will, like, look for color palettes. And I think one of the weird things about this movie is that the color palette changes all the time. And I'm just... I don't... Like, and there's nothing to match it because, like... But it remains the, kind of, like, in that shade of brown. Well, it's got a shade of brown, film. I guess, but there's also, like, a gold phase, and there's a white phase, and there's a green phase, yeah. and there's a yellow phase, and there's, like, a beige, brownie-ish phase these are all shades of brown and then there's a gray phase and but like and that's like the whole the whole sequence is shot in that kind of thing and just like there's no con, there's no aesthetic consistency here which is right down to the thing i thought you were going to say is the music some of those classical music cues are fucking laughable they're laughable i, I didn't even notice one that. of the scenes there's the scene where he's pedaling his bike when he starts when he takes that bike and he screams in that guy's face and he like um is pedaling up the street is the same music that they were playing when uh, Lebowski, regular Lebowski, is telling Jeffrey Lebowski is telling the dude about Bunny being kidnapped. No, I didn't notice that. 
It's the same music. And it's music that's in a lot of movies. You know what I mean? Maybe it's in the public domain. They don't have to pay for it. Whatever. There's semi-okay-ish sometimes score happening here. Why would you do like the most cliched, tense classical music like mic drop or needle drop in this scene where he's riding a bike up the street sadly in the rain? Like, why would you do that? I don't understand. There's This movie seems like they were really content, and we'll talk about it in a second. They're really content to just kind of let Nicolas Cage do stuff and hope that the movie comes out. And it almost kind of does. Not to say that it's like an all-time great movie. It almost becomes a good movie. And as it is now, it's an okay movie with something a little different, something a little new from Nicolas Cage. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot of, a, a lot of restraint. There's a lot of like... I don't even think there's restraint. There's a depth... So? But there's, it's not, I, I don't see it as restraint. And okay. I, were, we're thinking probably the same thing. There's a real depth of feeling to some of those, to some of those scenes. Mm. To the point where I thought I was maybe watching Tom Hanks, but like better. There's some, where he's like, he seems way more open than he's ever seemed in, even in his weirdest, like most Nicolas Cage's performances. He seems totally open here. maybe by restraint i mean resignation mm. there's a real resignation to his performance here like even when he finds out what he finds out yeah um his response wasn't necessarily what i was expecting and there's kind of like a so it goes you know sort of eventually after the yeah but yeah. still like ultimately it leads to that sort of like well because there's a there's some growth and the and and the pig is filling of is filling a void. And when he says he loves her, he's not talking about the pig necessarily, although he does. He's talking about his ex-wife. Yes. Um, and I, I, I thought one of the things that the movie is, you know, okay at doing from a writing standpoint is just kind of not giving too much information away right away. So you kind of have a sense of um, maybe what happened to Robin, um, you know... With the woman on the tape. Like something happened. Um, but they don't give it all away. They, they do it piece by piece. You don't even know the nature of Robin's like restaurant. So he goes to that bakery to pick up some bread so he can make that meal for, for Darius. That reminds him of like the best, you know, the night he was most happy, according to his son. Um, you know, he's getting this bread from, ratatouille the, moment. From, yeah, from the baker. Yeah, exactly. From the baker who used to bake for him. And he's like, oh, and she's like, I kept it for a while, and then I turned it into a bakery because I'm a baker. Which means that that place is small, which means that Robin had a small, and, and Laurie, we find out at the end of that scene, had a small restaurant. And, but it, the way that everyone's talking about him, it was obviously like the restaurant in Portland. And everybody knew about it, and everybody wanted to work there, and he was like a fucking legend. And then he just disappeared, and he became even more of a legend to the point where when he came back, everyone was, his name had had value um that stuff was good less good is what the hell is up with darius and amir's darius's wife and amir's mother because he says she killed herself but she is in a hospital with a tracheotomy that it is a suicide attempt like in the neck maybe hang maybe she tried to hang, hang herself, herself. I'm guessing, uh... but that's see and that's where i'm just like that's too loose 
I either either let her be dead or let her let us know what happened. Give Alex a or Alex give Amir a moment. Give Amir a moment to have like a moment because right now he just has the one when he talks about that meal, but like the the words that he uses are very cliched and kind of vague. And you know, I'm happy that they had that really nice meal, but it's it's just not very interesting. Um, and I think and it's it's Nicolas Cage's response that makes that interesting and the idea that like you know there's going to be an earthquake and and a volcano is going to erupt or whatever and it's going to fall into the ocean who fucking cares about any of this stuff um that is cool that makes that scene memorable other than this anonymous highbrow apartment with burned french toast and whatever I like, and I think the there's too many metaphors here. Yeah, there's too much symbolism. Like the idea that like he won't clean himself until he like gets his pig back, and then so like at the end he finally like cleans his face off of the river. That's stupid. Who fucking cares? No, like it's weird for for such a, a stout film. There's there's a lot, a surprising amount of fluff to where it almost feels like it's better as like a short feature. Um, yeah, just because like, like I could see a world in which you excise a mirror from this film and it. Maybe works better. Well, you just need you need him to get him places, but you don't need a story. You maybe you don't even need the connection between Darius and Amir. Like besides the fact that like Amir's the one that will take over for Darius when Darius gets older or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just it just feels there was a lot of moments for such a short film where I, I asked myself like what's the necessity of this? It doesn't serve anything it doesn't serve to expand rob as a character it doesn't serve to really i mean we just need one scene to kind of grow his his legend we don't need that entire fighting scene like like none of we do not i mean and i'm not anti we don't need the meth scene the method scene besides like quickly getting us somewhere else but even that feels like it it overstays its welcome well just like the idea that like they hired so Darius hired, I, but I, again, I don't understand the nature of Darius's business. He's just a food distributor. Who fucking cares? Like, I'm not sure why I care. But this is the same problem that always happens with all these movies. As soon as you like ins- insert organized crime into a film, I'm kind of out. Unless I'm that just... film is History of Violence. Well, yeah, because that's just awesome. But they do that stuff right because it's vague. It's weird. You know, they don't really. I think the best part about History of Violence is that you don't get the impression that they want to do any of the things that they're doing. There's a co- and the, which is one of the things that um, Richie says at the end of the movie is that like it's just coalescing power towards what they seem to be acknowledging the fact that like it's really towards nothing. It's just towards its own end, and that satisfies the tone or that supports the tone of that scene, which is just kind of like this is just cool. I tried to strangle you in the crib. My mom. Kids tried to do that. My mom. Was it my my mother kicked the shit mm. out of me? But yeah, I, I I don't necessarily hate it. Um, I just can't necessarily recommend it as a film. It just it just it is. I'm gonna be very honest with you. If this was on, if this was free on Hulu, I would totally recommend it because I think it's I think it's interesting ish, and Nicolas Cage is is doing something significant here. I mean, he's not changing the nature of acting forever, but he's doing something significant for him and for um, 
like performances this year. I just I, and it's so light. Like you won't feel sad that you no watch. But it. I I just I think it's frustrating in the fact that I oh think we this wanted needs, more. This needs this needed more gestation. It, it, I think I think there's a lot that's there's a lot of potential here. It needed more, but ca- it just needed yeah. It needed a little more oregano or something. It needed more care. It needed more like um, professionalism. It needed so the move. I mean, this made me think of so. I mean, this might be an interesting discussion to have, and we're doing fine on time if you want to have it. I kept thinking the whole time, which movie do I like better, First Cow or this? And part of me thinks I like this better, and then it would do something stupid, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, Kelly Reichert would never do something stupid like that. But then Nick Cage would do something awesome, and I'd be like, I also don't think she's getting that out of, like, or she's letting an actor do any of that stuff. And so I was kind of going back and forth. What? Except for Toby Jones. But even Toby Jones is just kind of it's it's I don't know. It's just it's No, no, soft. I just I just like Yeah. No, um, it's good. It's and that's the thing old first old cow. First cow is um is a well-made professional movie. It is light to the point of almost non-existence in my mind. It did not stick. The stuff that stuck with me absolutely. more is Alia Shawcott finding bones. And I, 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 this weirdly, I think, exists like in this in between between professionalism and still like an amateur feature, like like a yeah. Like, I don't want to say like a student film; it's nowhere near that. But the kind of like um, a self financed film. I'm gonna be honest with you: student film is not like unreasonable. A self financed film It has yeah. like that. I mean, it's nowhere near this, but something like a Clerks sort of level of it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's better than Clerks, but. You know, where, where, where there was no kind of restraints upon but here, the production I'll ask besides financial. If you didn't have Nicolas Cage in this part and you had Joel Edgerton wearing a long beard, and I'm saying his name on purpose because he's scraggly, he looks sad anyway. Um, if you had Joel Edgerton doing this, would this movie, would anyone give a fucking shit about this movie? No, no. I don't know. It's because Nicolas well, Cage... Well, they confused why Joel Edgerton was in this weird big drama. Right. Well, the only reason you get Alex Wolf and Adam Arkin in this movie at all is because of of Nicolas Cage doing it. Also, um, I think you could have got Alex Wolf. He's he's not his brother. Who's his brother? Matt Wolf. I mean, Matt Wolf's a little more famous. Uh, Alex Wolf is wait is Alex Wolf is a hereditary guy, right? Oh, you're right. Alex Wolf is, and he's Alex Wolf is old. Wait, is it Alex Wolf? Is Alex Wolf a hereditary guy? I think it is, unless they both look exactly alike. I think, no, he is the hereditary guy. Nat Wolf is the, Nat Wolf's the older one. Barely. I guess, I guess. Well, Nat Wolf is, Nat Wolf's got, you know. He's got the fault in our stars. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's got that. <laughs> Sorry, Nat Wolf. I apologize. Um. But it was weird. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. An, uh, it wasn't a, a not enjoyable hour and a half. But it was also one. It was very. It was more frustrating than I wanted a movie this, like minor to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect more minor movies to be, like, have a purpose and be minor for a reason and do its minorness really well, and it did not. Yeah, it, it doesn't have the necessary feeling of like a passion project. No, like it doesn't have. It doesn't feel like for what I believe was a directorial debut. Yeah, well, his featured his feature debut doesn't feel like it was a film that had that had been like I need to make this and this is my story. Kind of felt like it's just like 
I have an idea for something that thematically is going to go in a direction that you don't expect it to go in. There are no fingerprints here. I have no idea what kind of filmmaker, like, I, and I already changed out of the, my, <laughs> my thing, so it's gone. Um, his name is Michael Sarnowski. I have no idea what kind of filmmaker Michael Sarnowski is. None. Zero. I think he's going to get another movie because Nicolas Cage is going to get nominated for an Oscar for a movie that Michael Sarnowski directed. But other than that, like... You think so? Oh, for sure. Rotten Tomatoes put together this hilarious preliminary list of, like, best actor categories. And I'm just like, none of these people are getting nominated for best actor. None of them. Maybe Denzel Washington for Macbeth. If it comes out. Cumberbatch is going to get nominated for Power of the Dog. No. We'll see. Actually, I know. I'm talking about myself now. Oh. But Timothy Chalamet is not getting nominated for fucking Dune. <laughs> it's just not. No. Maybe, Mario. Maybe. Adam Driver will get nominated. For this next movie. Yeah. Hilariously, somebody, I was reading the Reddit comment reviews, and somebody said, this is the second best performance of the year I've seen. After? After Winston Duke in nine days. Was it you? No, somebody else said, like, Winston Duke in nine days, and then this. And I was like, that's, that's a weird combination yeah, of maybe. choices. Well, uh, we're talking about um, Leos Carex's new film, Annette. First time I fell in love. Woke up next to the girl and escaped fast and far. But Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is... Hmm, that's a little more puzzling. Louis C.K. and Brett Gelman were thrown into Brundle's teleportation device. <laughs> and out came Henry McHenry. <laughs> oh, that's good. good Adam one. Driver, who's now engaged to this opera singer, uh, now, Anne. Here's the thing, though. You need to throw someone else in there who is not funny. Oh, God. Uh, but that's not even kind of funny. Well, I was, I was mixing, like... The fact of, yeah. Well, Brett Gelman kind of does that style of But Brett Gelman is still funny. Who's up? Oh, so Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, someone who's like legit. Like, so like um, Anthony Fauci. Oh, no. Like someone right. who's just kind of like, I'm going to tell you some things. Who likes, uh, the, the, what's his name? McAfee. John McAfee. He yeah. seems like he would wear robes <laughs> when he was alive. <laughs> John McAfee. That sounds good. Actually, I like that. That's like a perfect thing. Yeah. I hope someone on Reddit listens to this and is like, listen, <laughs> this guy figured it out. This is who Adam Driver is and fucking Annette. Uh, as a courtship and engagement to Anne DeFranon, uh played by Marion Cotillard, and they're in a rock opera. 
the Sparks Brothers are doing a rock opera. And Leo Caro's doing a rock opera. And they're fucking because they love each other. They have that song. I don't have the song listings here. And they produce a net. And a net's a wooden puppet. She's also the best thing in this movie. She's a wooden puppet. And eventually six women come out and allege... Uh, no, they don't. It's a dream. Was that a dream? Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and I thought... God. I thought that was like a dream, but then it actually also happened. No. Okay. Anyhow, for some reason then, Henry McHenry's career just kind of nosedives because he... He's telling too many truths or something. Whatever. Uh, But Anne's getting really famous. She's getting bigger and bigger because people want to be saved, not destroyed. At the opera. Yeah. Uh, People in L.A. are going to the opera a lot. And eventually Anne dies on a yacht because they're trying to save their marriage. Maybe Henry killed her on purpose. We don't know. Probably not. He was just drunk. Who cares? Um, and Henry and Annette go back to the beach and everyone's sad and money's going away because Anne was the moneymaker and Henry's nothing and Henry's now a heavy drinker and then he finds out Annette can sing. He's a little baby. He's a little wooden puppet. Well, because, wooden because puppet Anne baby. is haunting Henry through Annette's exactly. voice. Yeah. And Henry goes like, Money. We find Sim, Simon Helberg, who actually thinks the best part of this movie. Find Simon Helberg, and is like, "Hey, you are the accompanist. Do this now. Accompany Annette." And they do. Annette sings all around, and eventually Henry kills Simon Helberg. Uh, what the hell, is Simon Helberg? The accompanist. Just the accompanist, right? Accompanist, yeah. The accompanist, because Anne and the accompanist were having an affair before Henry met, and Henry's just gone off the deep end as is. And he announces one last performance at the Hyper Bowl. I, because love, I love the Hyper Bowl. Because it's clearly the fact that they, you know, couldn't say the big game like anybody else could. Uh, and that's where Annette declares, my dad kills people. And Henry gets arrested. He's still haunted by the ghost of Anne. Uh, and then uh, he sees Annette. And Annette, the wooden puppet he has seen, is actually been a real girl this entire time he just saw her as a tool of entertainment or whatever and he's like hey let's re- let's reconcile and she's like go fuck yourself yeah that's suck my favorite scene of the movie which is too and bad and then uh, it's the end and driver's like okay because you know men ask us to love us when they can't love themselves um i'm conflicted here i i both hate it and am okay with it at times uh, a lot of this music here it doesn't work no it's terrible because they I tried to do an opera they, yeah they tried to do a rock opera and I no no they didn't try to, my problem is that they didn't try to do a rock opera there's no songs here there's one song and it's the very first song yeah, I was gonna say it's the a first, good song the first one's great yeah I love like when that first song happens I'm like I think I might dig this me too and then the rest of it is an opera and so one of the keys of an opera is that like they don't do verses and choruses and all this other stuff there's all this there's all this Melody is really loose and kind of um, not dictated by structure. It's just kind of here's some melodies and they're going to go here and then we're going to do another melody and it's going to go here and do this also. And they did that and it was the fucking worst. And I, you're walking away, so I have to continue. 
<laughs> so I have to continue. But it was, I think part of my problem with this movie, and this is supposed to be your time to talk, so I won't try to go too long, is that opera tradition, so there's this opera and there's no songs. The other thing that's happening here, Mario, is that there's, um, they're just telling you what they're thinking in the dialogue is in the opera, but it's a movie. And none of these people can sing. So one of the reasons you go to an opera is to like hear people sing. You don't worry about the story. You don't worry about like if the sets are nice. That's that's good. You know what I mean? But you want to hear some people like sing some fucking sing the, the Christ out of some notes. Nobody's doing sing that. The Christ. No one's like doing that, that here. <laughs> um, so you're basically and this movie also isn't visually interesting, almost ever. So you're just watching a bunch of people sing in very normal situations, yeah, except the, that Adam Driver is fucking insane, apparently. And that's it. That's the, the whole draw to this movie, and I feel the same way you do. I don't like any of it. And I wouldn't even necessarily say that I hate some of it, because I don't fucking get it. And that's kind of... I'm, I've been struggling with that for like the last couple days, which is like... I don't have I don't know how to feel about this movie because I don't I don't get it. It seems wrong to me. And everyone that's writing all these positive like ultra positive reviews about farce and truth and like time I'm just like that's not here. None of that is here. Where is that? No, it's it's not. Leo Caro is a bad director. Yeah. Holy Motors is a travesty of film. It's one of legitimately one of the worst films I've ever seen. And I'm a David Sav- Dennis Savant fan. Yeah, me too. I love Dennis Savant. And that movie is fucking garbage. And that movie, I think, the only way it works for me is when I really keep reminding myself of, like, premise, 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 premise. But even still, I'm just like, this looks like a no. TV show. And that's, but that's what's attempted here again, is, like, you're trying, to, you're trying to tell yourself premise, 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 and it's trying to, like, hew to these characters right. and these traits. But it doesn't exist in a world that is real. In the sense of nobody gives a shit about com- stand-up comedy, really. Or opera. And nobody definitely gives a shit about opera. Nobody would interact, and I understand this is a fantastical thing, but nobody's yeah, yeah, interacting yeah. with this level of, of comedy. And we're, we're supposed to understand, of course, that he's like probably an insult comic, and what we're seeing is just his interpretation well, so my, of his comedy, my, but it's not, it doesn't work because it's demanding too much of its audience. My thought... Without giving the audience Exactly. Anything. And my thought to that exact point was, is this a meta film in the sense that Carox is literally commenting the entire movie is, why am I making this movie? So when the very first comedy scene when he's like, why am I a comedian? They're like, why are you a comedian? My mind was like, yeah, why did he make a movie starring a comedian? Because it's not funny... He's not even trying to be funny, but he's also not being interesting or provocative in any way that anyone would give a fucking shit about. And that it, whole scene when he torpedoes his career, who fucking cares? And that, People do that shit all the time. Yeah, Michael Richards did that. Both of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mario is killing tonight. But that scene legitimately is one of the most painful experiences I've had in modern film. Not necessarily because of the fact of it's, it's a meta narrative and it's obviously whatever. Which one, the first one or the second his, one? His, the second one is is less annoying. So it's, it's not, shorter. It's shorter, but it also it, the interactions make more sense with the crowd, right? Um, 
I understand this meta narrative that's attempted there and this kind of like fantastical element of like the crowds interacting just because this is what Henry's seeing from his point of view, but it's so nauseant oh, and awful. so painful to watch and so repetitive and last it's a what a ten minute sequence. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. But not beyond the fact that it doesn't make any sense, it's just frustratingly bad music. Oh, it's horrible. It's um and I, I would disagree. I think there's like three. There's two good pieces in here of music. What's the other one? I like the I am. I like I am a conductor. Oh, uh, I like the idea of that more than I like the. I, maybe the I just like like Helberg's well, performance. I was say I like the idea that like I mean he can't conduct, which I've seen is like a problem apparently on Reddit. Um, but I like the idea that like when he stops singing, he just like fucking bursts or stops speaks whatever he's doing there and just kind of like burst into tears as like the music gets up. That's, that's interesting. That's some real emotion. Yeah. And it's a movie that's completely and totally devoid of emotion. Yeah, like Simon so Helberg's happy doing, to have him doing something that nobody else is doing here. Marion Coltyard looks bored. That's shit. Well, but it's another problem. And I was saying this to um, my wife when we were watching it and, um, cause she was just kind of like sitting there and I was like, this is just another movie that is just happy to say we cast Marion Cotillard. And don't give her anything to do. And, like, there's this, that scene when she, like, just gets out of the bathroom. Um, she gets out of the shower and she's got the robe on her. And she's singing about, like, her fears about Henry. And I was like, this just feels like this. The nature of the L.A. that they're showing us feels like, and the, the kind of song they're doing feels like Punch Drunk Love. Um, it had this kind of, like, same dark kind of brooding, curious energy to it. Patrick Love's not a musical, although it plays a lot like a musical because he uses music. Paul Thomas Anderson uses music correctly. Um, and I was just like, oh my god, I just would so much rather be watching like any other L.A. movie than this stupid, like this completely narcissistic, like self-absorbed, just atrocious with the atrocious songs that I don't even get but I don't even I'm not even mad I wish I could hate this movie but I don't hate it because I don't understand what is happening I don't hate it because it's it commits itself at least to its it, idea it does yeah like I I have a feeling that I'm kind of like understanding the intent here but like it, it's he's so like Kara so stuck so sticks to his guns often in his films, but I guess there's a little more control here of of staying in that lane that makes me have some sort of appreciation for it. And the fact that like it never kind of veers off. It doesn't care if it loses its audience. It doesn't care where its audience is. So I have to but I that's respect a, that but to that's a degree. A, but we're, so we're going to talk ourselves through this thing, it sounds like, because that to me also smacks of, it definitely doesn't, but that also smacks of that meta-narrative. Where, like, Henry McHenry also seems to not care if he loses his audience. He's, like, got some kind of truth to tell, and he's going to tell it, even though I have no idea I mean, what that truth is. I mean, there's no truth that Leo Kurat's trying to say. And if he's trying to say it... He, but he is Adam Driver trying to say, tell... Is Henry McHenry trying to tell a truth either? Probably not. No. So they're the same. And what I the think. fuck does that mean? Right? What I does mean, that mean? Unless, unless, I mean, 
Holy Motors is an absurdist piece, so maybe a net in its same level is an absurdist piece. And that ending shot is thrown in there to like give you like, oh, here's something. Here's a little. T- here's a little taste of like a purpose for this film that Annette's actually a real girl. And here's all these scenes you can look back of the wooden puppet and realize that that was an actual real girl that was supposed to be sitting there. But really, that is kind of the um, red herring, per se, <coughs> in the fact that the film isn't about anything. But the fact that. Uh, the, the, the reason I can't like really hate this movie is is regardless of what it's saying, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I don't think Leo Carrara is intelligent enough or interesting enough to have anything to say that I'd find particularly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I respect the fact that he had the commitment to stick to it, mm-hmm. to stick it through, and to of what he was doing never loses that tone. Like it, it, it stays. Um, I get that. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, like there's some skill of filmmaking here in keeping it locked in. Like there's no, all the numbers are the same as the previous numbers. Mm-hmm. All, all the, the, the way the story paves itself is locked in tone with everything that's happened before and will happen later. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect that to a degree. Yeah. And I think Ultimately that, though, it's, 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 a nothing, it's a nothing burger of a movie. Right. And I think to that point, that's why I think the scene where Annette comes to life is so powerful because it's, it's been this thing the whole time. And then you're just like, oh, no. Not only do you have like a semi-interesting song, you also have real emotion on display for the first time. And Adam Driver seems actually invested in what he's doing for the first time in like a long time instead of actively trying to ruin the movie. Um, I mean, that scene where he kills... Um, the accompanist. The accompanist. He's just like poking him around, which is and that's a like, well shot like fight too, like like just the physical like there's a ne- like a necessary like physicality and fun to it. The camera's that, like, in the right place. Hen- no, Henry's having like he's a bigger man. Like Adam Driver's like a huge man. Sure, and Simon Helberg's smaller than Marion. No, the one time I laughed, and apparently I was supposed to be laughing the whole time. If you read like half of the reviews on like the top reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes. Was when like when that oh my that god awful song about like we love each other so much or something, like when they get home from like their walk in a you know a glade or whatever, and he's like picking her up and she's so much shorter than he is. I was like, that's funny. No, no, this is this is a terrible thing to say. I find funny, but the thing I found funny, and I'm sure this was outside the film, but when he's like cupping her breasts during the sex scene, yeah, Adam Driver's hands are clearly cupped in a certain way where he's not actually like touching most of her breast, and I just found that hilarious. I like, felt, I felt, you can tell like Adam Driver's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to hold these. I felt so, so bad do, for her. I'm gonna do like like if this was her breast, if the mouse was her breast, like his. His hand is clearly like a good couple inches off. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just let's like, make it a big I'm like, difference. I'm like, good job, Adam Driver, that you like sure. felt so uncomfortable in this scene. Well, I just love the like. I, I just love it's how like he called his wife during it and yeah. said, this. "I'm sorry." I love how provocative he thinks that that's not Adam Driver. Leo Carrick thinks that that scene is that scene is fucking dumb, and it's what makes yeah. it even dumber. Talking about love again, and what makes it even dumber is the fact that like later. He's like going down on her and he's singing another song, but like now her breasts are exposed because she's clearly wearing a bodysuit. And I think and he's she's pregnant. And she's pregnant because she's, and so she's wearing a bodysuit, so we're not seeing her actual breasts. I think he knows that. I think he knows 
I think he did that on purpose, and he knows we're going to notice it. And I think he thinks that it means something. But in the context of the movie that he's given us... Just provocative, at least. Holy Motors tries to do that, too, right. but it just doesn't But work. what does it mean? Doesn't like, mean I mean, it doesn't matter. It just, but what is it, what is it trying to provoke in me? Do you think so? Like, I think it's just supposed to be, like, have this degree of intimacy and shocking. Like, but if you're, I but, so, I guess so. But I feel like a movie that's this, like, elitist and, like, intellectually demanding, and I'm using, Do like, you think so? I think this is really, like, everyman kind of workhorse-ish in its way. That's why I, that's why I label it a rock opera. Because oh, of the fact that it, they wanted to too. It, yeah, I, I looked at this. I compare this into the same league, and I'm sure Leo Caro's going to find me and try to stab me. This is like a worse reap of the genetic opera. Darren Lynn Bozeman did a better variation <clears throat> of this style of film. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The two rock operas that were I was thinking of, or not rock operas, but musical. That I was thinking of were Jesus Christ Superstar for very obvious reasons. The sparks ripped off a lot of the crowd stuff in Jesus Christ Superstar, like t- crowd interaction. Um, yeah, like so when when I, uh, I've never seen Jesus Christ Superstar, so. or just even listen to the record because the record's better than anything that's ever been shot or staged about it. Um, there's a lot of instances where Jesus is talking to a crowd, or when Caiaphas is talking to a crowd, or when like Simon is talking to a crowd and the crowd responds, or they're at a temple and something like that. And that's all very that's on display here. The other one I'm going to be very honest with you is A Nightmare Before Christmas. This is like the most Danny Elfman, not Danny Elfman like piece of music I've heard in so long Danny Elfman should fucking sue them because they just ripped off like Danny Elfman's whole deal almost everything that Adam Sandler Adam Sandler Adam Driver sings we have until 10 for Munchies by the way oh we're almost done okay Okay. Um, everything he sings sounds like it could have been sung by Jack Skellington well that's that's kind of and I was just like this is weird Adam Driver's bad in this. I would, I would I say. I, he's, he's trying way too much. Do you think he's bad? Yeah, I think he's trying too much. I mean, he's, I know you just said it, but... He's, he's just... He thinks he's doing something great. Fruit flies, yeah. Everyone thinks he's doing something great. But it's not. It's, it's, no. He's just eating... That's not necessarily eating a scenery. It's just like meeting the film where it isn't. It, he's... he's Doing something that nobody else is at all doing. In Mario, this movie. sometimes he's seems like he's not even engaged in what is supposed to be happening. No, at all. Like not even paying attention. But everyone's saying like it's this like virtuosic, like complete and total transformative performance. And it was like, I don't get it. I don't. I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't know what everyone's talking about. He seems like he's phoning it in. And I, I say this as a person who's like. Like loves Simon Helbergen. I was surprised by how much I actually. Maybe just because it's like it's somebody that is locked into like what this film's He's trying doing emotion. to do. He's yeah. got something to do. Yeah, uh, it, but Adam Driver is just like he's so dedicated to the apathy or antipathy yeah. of of Henry that he, he then he spreads it throughout. And he, I think he's supposed to try to be like this revolution in the last scene where he realizes he's hated himself the entire time. But just, it's so vapid. It's, it's, oh, it's a horrible. incredibly vapid performance. I mean, I go I, I go right back to the... the this is an Edmund Driver fan, typically. Me too. And someone who was looking forward to this for that reason. And when you saw the initials re- reviews from Atacan were like... This might be something, but it's not something. And I go right back to that second when he tried just to torpedo his career. 
And it was like nothing he's doing is even kind of interesting or provocative. It's just he's just saying lines and doing stuff with his body, but it's for nothing. No. I hope that you all enjoyed coming back to the, this. Next time we so, come back will be well, next month. Sometime next yeah. month. Maybe it won't be as long because there's a bunch of stuff happening now that um, we're going to want to talk about. Like Candyman. Oh, right. Candyman. I thought, I, thought, I thought your life was going to interrupt that. Well, we'll see how it goes, Mario. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not going to be next week. No, no, no. But it might not be like a month and a week like this last week was. Well, you know, we got to leave. We're like, we're like heroin dealers now. We give people a taste and we leave them wanting more. I, I, and then we create a Patreon and we get $1 from it. And then we stop it. Then we stop doing the podcast. Once we've acquired all the Patreon money. <laughs> the $1. Ugh, so wet. Yeah. <laughs> I am too. My bussy's wet. Um, all right, we got to go. If you want to look that up, you can do so on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> But you can tweet us at Film Pivotal and say, Jesus Christ, why did you have to say that? Mario? Or you can go to Pim Pivotal. You can send us a message at Pim, Pim, Film Pivotal Podcast. Piv- no. The Pivotal Film Podcast. Pivotal Film Podcast at gmail.com, which I haven't checked in a long time. I, I, get, I get alerts from it, and oh, it's okay. all ads. Yeah. Uh, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com, which again, I haven't updated in a long time. But we also haven't done an episode in a long time. You can see the, list of the films on our Pivotal Film list. Kind of subscribe if you're so inclined to do. Um, and we will see you eventually. This was a good time. Uh, I, we, outside, you know, outside of the heat. <laughs> outside of the heat. So uh, we're going to run downstairs. We're going to get some fucking food. Just like, just like Pivotal Film came back, Munchies came back after a month. Whoop, whoop. That's the only reason we actually recorded today. All right, go see movies, drink beers, eat sandwiches, and we'll talk to you soon.